Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Well, I'm excited to welcome the host of the show into his own show, my brother, Mike Ayala, Investing for Freedom. How are we doing today, man? Good, man. Thanks for having me on my show. (laughs) Right? Like this is a little different for the both of us right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. We've both been on each other's podcasts. We've known each other for, you know, a handful of years being in GoBundance and just, you know, doing more of life together. And, you know, I think one of the things that I really love and admire about you is, um, you know, your, 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 your track record speaks for itself, but this whole life approach that you really not only talk and teach about, but you execute on and then you live in integrity in every single day is something that I've been fortunate enough in more intimate settings to get to know you. And I thought it'd be really cool on today's show for us to talk a little bit, one, about that journey and what that's looked like leading up to it, but for other people to get to know, you know, your story and what you're doing right now and and some of the things that I know you hope other people can model in their own lives. What do you think about that today, my brother? Yeah, I love it. And I'm excited about it. And we were kind of talking off camera. I've got a, you know, one of my, my dearest, one of my favorite employees, Mike, um, he's the one that kind of helps with the magic behind the scenes. And, you know, he said, he's like, Mike, I hear you on all these other podcasts. Like, I think we need to have somebody interview you and just really get behind the scenes. Like who is Mike? And he, he said, uh, do you know anybody that would do that or that you'd want to do that? And I'm like, yeah, Maddie, like you were the first person that popped in my mind. Cause I, I just love your energy. And again, the approach, that's something that I think we both have in common and yeah. I knew that you appreciated. So yeah, I'm excited to do it. It'll be fun. Yeah, we we share a lot of similar, I would say, core values, right? On on that front of, you know, skills and strategies and all that kind of stuff, right? We we can get into the weeds on that. But then I think, you know, you take a you a step up and you look at, you know, pull the kimono open and look at who somebody is and, and what they stand for. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, I have so much love and appreciation for you is um, yeah, your, your bank account, your success, all of that stuff stands on its own and speaks for itself. But the stuff that doesn't show up on paper, I think is, is what means more to me in terms of who I want to be around and who I want to learn from. And, and you're one of those guys. And so sometimes it's hard to brag about yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think today I'm going to be able to ask some questions that, uh, you're going to share some answers that won't necessarily be bragging, but will showcase all of the things that I want to see you uh, share with other people. So why don't we back up a little bit? You know, you've got so many amazing listeners who have, you know, come to your podcast and your show because they know that, you know, money is a tool and this journey of business and, and personal development and entrepreneurship can be a vehicle for living your best life. But it always starts somewhere. Where did your somewhere start? You know, my somewhere started, yeah, it's interesting too, because, uh, you know, usually when we're having this conversation, it's, uh, it's kind of just through a different lens. So I'm going to try to keep it that lens. So my journey started, um, I guess really what shaped me and really what 
kind of led me down the path of who I am today in, in every aspect. We talk about the values and, and the pillars and everything else, whether it was entrepreneurship or whether it was, you know, my commitment to the family. I think it really started as a, as a young guy, like my dad, and I've touched on this a little bit, but my real dad was, um, you know, he was an alcoholic. He was uh, a drug addict. He couldn't hold down a job. And, you know, I've often said, I found myself saying this more and more recently too, we can learn as much from good scenarios or good situations as we can bad. And I think a lot of times, even the challenging ones are what make us who we are. And it'll be interesting getting into some of the generational stuff too, because I've been finding myself having a long, lot of conversations around, um, you know, what made me who I am today was some of the challenges. But then, you know, when it comes to generational, like how do we, how do we make sure that our kids are also not spoiled yet? You know, I, I don't want my kids to be abused or be around a drunk or anything else. And so I think it really started with a lot of that, Maddie. Um, you know, just really uh, seeing my dad in and out of my life and not having stability and then being raised by my grandparents for a while. We just went through an exercise at the couple's mastermind about, you know, just making sure we didn't have any open conversations we had to have or whatever with anybody else. And one of mine is like, I just realized that I need to reach out to my mom and just tell her what a badass she was, you know, just tell her like how proud I am of her because there's was so much emphasis and like who I am today. I con I'm constantly talking about a lot of that is because my dad and because he was frankly just a shithead. And, but you know what I don't give enough credit to is my mom for, mm -hmm. you know, just showing up and being tough and working two jobs and going to college and, you know, being a single mother. And then, you know, even, when she married my stepfather, just, you know, trying to navigate all that two young boys with, you know, bringing a guy that she loved, obviously, into a marriage. And so uh, that was kind of like a little side rail. But that was something that I just had this epiphany this last weekend, because I think a lot of what shaped me and the drive and the motivation and everything else was around my dad. And that, I guess I'll just say horrible life that we had. But also like, I don't give enough credit to my mom for being such an amazing human. Moms are the real MVPs, right? Right. Yeah. 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 So that was really, you know, I think it was just that upbringing. And then, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to get too off track cause, cause it's your show and I don't want to dominate it. Yeah. But, don't, uh, don't be screwing up my itinerary today, <laughs> brother. Yeah. But I think, you know, there, there's these kind of defining moments that, that set you on a path, right. That maybe in hindsight, as you get further from them and, and you go through life experiences and you gain more wisdom, you kind of look back and you say, man, that fork in the road or that conversation or, or, or that horrible experience, you know, you either want to be more of these things or, you know, as far away from some of these things. And obviously there was a point in time where you had this little spark of entrepreneurship, of, of hard work, of building character that is, is in your DNA. And, you know, I, I believe that there's things that you can teach and then I think that there's things that are innate. And I'm just curious about, you know, some of the things in your early entrepreneurial journey that you had to learn and that you knew you needed to sharpen your axe on that have kind of set you on that entrepreneurial path, but also some of the things that are just innate in who you are that others might be able to spotlight and pull from as well into their own journey. You know, it's such a great like observation because, and I wouldn't have known this looking backwards, but when I look at my mom and who she is today, she's, she's now an entrepreneur. Um, <laughs> crazy. And they, she owns a bar. She recently bought a struggling bar, like in COVID because, you know, when I work backwards, that, like that's her most recent investment. But, um, what started with that Maddie was like, there, there was this great opportunity to buy this building that was distressed, but the tenant was a bar and, and 
then when she started digging into the bar, like the bar was in trouble itself. And then she's like, well, what am I going to do with this? And so she ended up now she's got this commercial building and she owns a bar and they ended up gutting it because COVID happened. And it's like one of the most hopping, funnest bars in this little town that they live in. But you look at that backwards. She also owns an urgent care that she started probably six years ago and she hardly even works in it. She's got a management team and everything else. And so when I look at it now, I love the way that you kind of compartmentalize that because I wouldn't have known it. I was an entrepreneur before my mom was um, when I look backwards, but really that DNA, I think actually comes from my mom, but I just didn't realize it. And, you know, sometimes there's the DNA that you're talking about, but then there's the life stuff too. And it took my mom right. a long time to figure out that she was an entrepreneur. And I think some of that was because again, working two jobs, trying to provide for kids, you know, going to nursing school while I was in high school and everything else. It just, she was a little bit late, later bloomer. But I think it was in her DNA and it's also in my DNA. So it's an interesting take. When I look backwards, I mean, even in junior high, I didn't have a lot. My Obviously, my mom didn't have a lot. My stepdad was, you know, he was a blue collar, just working his tail off. I had to, I had to kind of buy my own stuff. You know, I had to fend for myself. And I'll never forget, even in junior high, I was at this catering shop. And I don't remember why we were there, but I was there with my mom. And they were, they had suckers, like homemade suckers on the, on the checkout stand. And they were making them right there. And I asked the lady, I'm like, how do you do this? And she kind of showed me and there was sucker molds and everything else. And I, my mom invested, I think like $12 in some sucker molds for me. And I started making suckers and started selling suckers at school until the government came in and shut me down. Cause you know, you can't be, <laughs> you can't be uh, selling suckers in school. So even at, you know, at an early age, I was entrepreneurial, but I love the way that you put that into perspective because part of it is in my DNA, but part of it is all, um, you know, through circumstances and, and situations and, and itching that bug too. So it's cool. Yeah. And so obviously that kind of was a little, I always look at like, there's always something in most people I talk to their life that is kind of like the spark. Right. But then at some point in time, there is this kind of like gasoline type of moment where the flame, you know, the spark turns into a real flame. And then obviously as time progresses, uh, as yours have, right, it turns into this, this wildfire blaze to where you're just, you're off, you're ripping, you're burning. And the thought around, you know, that being an issue for a lot of people in terms of, do you want to redo that real quick? Oh, that's cool. Cool. All right. We got a, we got a little, uh, we're talking about a fire firefighter right here, man. Right. <laughs> the, the, it becomes something where a lot of people, I think, you know, think that there has to be this, you know, box that gets checked for them in order to have permission to go and do that. Hmm. You know, what was your moment that you really said, I I'm meant to be an entrepreneur. I'm meant to you know, achieve more. I'm not status quo. I don't want to be mediocre because I think, right, all of your investing for freedom listeners, it's freedom, right? And so what was that moment for you? And what what is that advice that you wish you would have had or known looking back at that point in time in your journey? Yeah, it's such a good question. And I'm going to, I think there's two, I think there's the entrepreneur awakening, and then there was the real estate awakening for me. Um, and so I'll address those both. But I, I love it too, because it's always, it's always great when, you know, people like you and I are having conversations and we look backwards because it was, it was this defining moment and it seems really clear. And I think sometimes people are waiting for that, like the heavens to open up and, and say, Maddie or Mike, like, this is your future path. And I, I think it's, 
I, when I look backwards at it, I think we have more of those crossroads than what we realize. I think sometimes, and again, it's easier looking backwards, but I think sometimes people don't notice it or they're too scared or all the reasons that hold them back, which we can circle back on. So my first one, and again, when you come back to values, one of the things, Kara and I were married early. Um, we were dating in high school. I mean, I literally remember she was a, I think she was a sophomore and I was a senior. Yeah. And we would be on the phone till like two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, like landline phone. Cause that's how old we are. Um, just having conversations till like two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning when we were in high school and we'd have school the next day. But from an early age, we were always talking about the future and vision and what our life was going to look like. Even in high school, we were talking about our life together, which is really crazy to think about. Um, so you fast forward a little bit and back to my dad, like one of the things that, you know, Kara and I spent a lot of time talking about was that you, um, we wanted to be present as parents and Kara comes from an amazing family. Like I love Kara's parents. Like they're, they're some of my favorite people in the world and they were a close family. They were intact, never, you know, no, not that they didn't have any challenges or anything else, but they were that family that I looked at from the outside and saw, you know, an intact family. And I remember going there after school and I'd see mom home, you know, cooking. And I, I just see them as a whole unit. And I wanted that, but as Kara and I were you know, talking about our future. And especially as we started getting serious about, you know, marriage and everything else, one of the things that I wanted to be was a present dad. When you talk about values and pillars and all of that, um, I wanted to be that I didn't want to be a Disneyland dad. I wanted to be a dad that, you know, was able to go to the soccer games or baseball games or be supportive for the kids. I, you know, even go to the school plays and all of that. And I can thankfully look back now that my kids are 21, 19, almost 20, the middle one. And then Caden's 18, which is just crazy to think about. Um, we've, we've done that. We've, you know, I, I hardly missed anything with them growing up unless it was like, you know, there was a basketball game and I was out of town or something and that didn't happen very often. So to answer your question, I was working at this company as a 23 year old. So I, I, I started, I became a plumber at 18, went to an apprenticeship school and I was running this job at the age of 23, working out of town, Kara's had our first two boys. She's pregnant with our third child. And I'm literally like, I would work seven days a week. I'm running a job with like 16 to 20 employees. I was working like hundred to 110 hours a week, Maddie. Like I, my, it was a casino that we were remodeling and time, time was not an issue there. They're right. Like, 24 seven. Yeah. Get it open. And we were remodeling 300 rooms. We were doing a buffet. We were remodeling bathrooms. It was just this huge job. And when you're in I've worked in a lot of areas like this, gold mines, casinos, that kind of stuff. And it doesn't matter how much, it doesn't matter how many people, like you said, 24 seven, get the job done. And so we'd work all day and then I'd go to the room and I'd literally every night I'd have stacks of invoices and change orders, which as a guy that does hotels like you do, you know, this sounds crazy, but we had an open check. I literally had stacks of triple copy carbon uh, copy invoices that I just have to fill out every night with change orders and submit them after the fact, because they're like, whatever you have to do to get it done, just get it done. So I would leave Sunday night at like seven o'clock at night. I drive home because I was working out of town. I would drive home. I'd grab a cold dinner. I'd wash my clothes and I'd head back Monday morning and do the same thing and be gone all week, all while Kara's gone um, pregnant with our third child. And I remember having some conversations with Kara. I'm like, this is the antithesis of everything that we said we were going to do. And this was my, this was truly my thought. I didn't have like I said, the heavens opened up and said, Mike, you're going to be this amazing entrepreneur. What I said to myself and what Kara and I talked about was, you know, if I'm going to work 90 or hundred hours a week, 
I might as well do it for myself as an entrepreneur. Mm. So I didn't think that I was actually, it wasn't in my mind. You know, today, a lot of the guys that we talk to and girls that we talk to, they're like looking for their freedom. They want to use business or entrepreneurship or, or getting into investing. They're like, it's going to free me from, from my nine to five. Right. I wasn't thinking that I was like, okay, if I'm work 90 or hundred hours, I might as well do it for myself. And we took the leap, man, and started our own business at 24. And it was, it was such a crazy time, but I quickly found out and I'll tie this together. Um, I quickly realized how young and naive I was. I mean, I might've been a great leader. I might've been a great plumber. I might've been great at, you know, running a crew and everything else, but I didn't know shit about QuickBooks, entrepreneurship, business, running a plumbing and HVAC company, even leadership. I really didn't know shit about any of that. And I quickly found a consulting company um, that really, really, really helped me, uh, I guess, really take our company where it got to. I mean, we were on the Inc. Fastest Growing Companies in America in 2009. We were profitable every single year from the time we started that business, double digit growth. And that's usually unheard of. You know, so many people are like, you're not going to make money. You're not going to be in the black for three years, five years, whatever. But the thing that I knew was what I didn't know. I was young and naive. And at every step I hired coaches, mentors. So this coaching company, I'll say this and then, and then I'll turn it back to you. This coaching company that I hired, um, the second year that I was working with them, I had missed this the first year, but the second year they do a thing called profit launch where you take your partner or your core team and you go do your annual business planning. So while we were there, it was a three-day workshop and they made us spend about two months getting ready for this. And the whole first day of the workshop was designing life around your personal goals. And there was a statement that was made from stage that said, if your business isn't helping you achieve your personal goals, you just own a job. You just bought yourself a job. And that hit me like right between the eyes and the work that Karen and I had done getting ready for that workshop. We had set a goal for ourselves of buying two income producing properties a year for 10 years. So this was like my big, hairy, audacious goal. And I was thinking as a young entrepreneur, I still had the mindset. I was thinking that you know I'm probably 25, maybe 26 at this point in time. I'm thinking that by the time I get 10 years down the road and I have 20 rental properties and I have a 30 year mortgage on them. That's how I was thinking about real estate. By the time I'm 65 years old, I would have a retirement because I was thinking I was going to retire running this plumbing and HVAC company. Right. Right. And I was thinking that 20 paid for rental properties would be like my golden nest egg. And so those are really the two, those are the two moments. Um, if I had to narrow it down to, to two timeframes where number one, I had my entrepreneurial awakening, but number two, I had my, um, investment awakening. I love that though, right? Like, and I think this is such a, so many people have a a similar, they can relate to this experience or this story, right? No rich parents, no assistance, no handouts, no favors, no excuses, just this straight hunger and ambition and desire and and hustle and, and this willingness to sacrifice whatever you have to sacrifice in order to gain that freedom, but not at the expense of your core values, right? Not wanting to do it, you know, at the expense of your morals or your marriage or wanting to be a good dad. And I think one of the things that we often talk about in our conversations is like, you can have it all, you can have it all, but there, there's, you know, there's a formula to it. Right. And, and one of the things that I took away from what you just said in terms of like, what would you tell your younger self? And I think this is one of the things that, um, I'm grateful. I learned early on as well is humility, like, know when you don't know 
and be okay with somebody else helping you find out what you need to know in order to solve for the outcome that you want to achieve, right? And that's obviously something that you did really well. And then at the same time, right, it's, I'm taking away this, and I know this is who you are today versus who you were when you were, you know, 26 and you're telling this story is this constant investment in yourself and who you surround yourself with this evolution of mindset and discipline and habit, you know, what are some of those things that still ring true to you today that apply to your success now as they did back then when it comes to habits and disciplines and mindset? You know, I, I think you nailed probably one of the most important things. Um, and it kind of ties together through, you know, various forms, but you said, you know, number one, a hunger. You said that a little while back because man, the, the minute you start getting complacent or comfortable, and it doesn't mean there's not seasons in life. I mean, I've gone through seasons where, you know, even when the kids were younger, Karen, and I've been talking about this a lot lately, 21, almost 20 and 18. We're like in a different season now, man. I feel like this, I feel like this grind getting ready to come back on in a good way. Like, Ooh, I want to know what that looks like. Yeah. It's, you know, so I, I think we have to be cognizant of the seasons, but yeah. Um, I, you know, I think staying hungry is a big part of it. You mentioned the humility. When I look backwards, I mean, everybody's always looking for the, you know, the golden ticket or, you know, that silver bullet. And I think you nailed it already. Like just being humble and asking for help and knowing what you don't know. I mean, that old phrase that uh, we, we talk about it all the time, but you know, one of my mentors always said, if you're the smartest guy in the room, find a bigger room. I'm always looking for the bigger room. I want to, I, setting the ego aside and not trying to go in with, you know, I think we've all experienced this, but you know, you get into a conversation where everybody's trying to, you know, see who knows more and everything. Flex a little. Yeah. I want to be in the conversations where I'm like, I, I want to be the fly on the wall with the billionaires when I'm only worth the, you know, a million dollars. And the way you get into that is through humility and just not trying to prove your stuff. And so the, the reason why I think that's important is People want to help you. We were in a lot of conversations this last weekend at the Couples Mastermind, and a lot of the couples were actually blown away by how generous the speakers were with their time. We brought in, uh, you know, you know Mike McCarthy and, and his yeah. wife. They came in and talking about family values and all that. And Justin Donald came in, and he he was just talking about this was a big talking point with the couples. These guys are successful people. Another guy, Seth Madison, which you may or may not know, but he's a freaking rock star. Just, he works with huge companies about around trend setting and the future of work and all this stuff. And the thing was a recurring conversation, like just their humility and their generosity. And there's almost this idea in our mind that people who are successful are not humble and they're not going to be generous and they're going to be looking for something from you. And I've always seen the opposite. Right. People that are smarter than me, that are more successful than me, they're so generous with their time. And that's the thing that as we show up and we're humble and we ask for help, people are so willing to help you. And that's the thing that I think you can't quantify. When I look backwards, if it hadn't been for so many people, whether, you know, even a mentor of mine, I was asked this one time, there's a guy that has really totally changed my life. His name's Barry. I talk about him in terms of my mentor. I quote him so many times. And somebody asked me one time, I was actually in an Ascend conversation. I was speaking to the Ascend group. And they're like, how did you get Barry to mentor you? And I started laughing because Barry has actually loaned me a shit ton of money over time. He's like a hard money lender. God bless that, Barry. Yeah, we love Barry, right? <laughs> and the craziest thing is, is like, I've never looked at him 
you know, most people would think of a hard money lender as a loan shark or something like that. They got this negative, but it was funny. And the reason why I laughed was because they're like, how did you get Barry to mentor you? And I'm like, well, I borrowed like 300 grand from him and in order for him to get his money back. He had to mentor me so I wouldn't lose it. Right. And that's, that's what people don't understand. A lot of times is the natural mentorship. It can be paid and it can be through groups like GoBundance. It can be through coaching programs, but sometimes it's just through business partnerships and alliances. And I know like even in your world, I watch some of the people that you're partnering with and, you know, that's a give and take mentoring program. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's peer to peer mentoring. And so right. you can't get that without being humble. So I think the humility thing, hunger, humility, um, and, and the other thing I'll say too, is just getting really freaking clear on what you want. Mm-hmm. I say this all the time. What do you really want? And why do you want it? Because even, you know, so many people want to get right to the meat of like, how do you invest in real estate? How do you start a business? How do you, well, the better question is why, like, why would you want to do that? So because important. that's your North star, right? So yeah. humility, staying hungry. I think getting really clear on what your values are and why you're doing what you're doing. I think that is such an important part that oftentimes people overlook is they want the outcome, but, but it's also, why do you want that outcome? Right? Because when people say, well, what is the best investment to make? And I say, well, what, what are you solving for? You know, like, do you just want $5,000 a month? Are you trying to be a, you know, a hundred millionaire? Do you want to just, you know, be able to travel for six months out of the year? Like there's always a perfect investment or strategy or business model or partner or whatever it may be based on what your goal is. And then you can work backwards from there, but without that clarity, right? And that's one of the keywords I always love to use is like that North Star, right? It's like, when you know what that North Star is, it makes it so much easier to work backwards, to create a plan, to create stepping stones for actually getting there. And then it just comes down to being a game of execution, right? Of like, I know what my steps are and therefore I get to take these actions to get these results, to unlock these levels. And every level is a little bit closer to where I want to go. But my North star is what always keeps me either course correcting, right? Or doubling down on what's working and accelerating me to that goal. And that's something that I know you're so good at in terms of how you plan and how you stress test who you're around and what you're doing and what you're allowing to influence you. What do those rhythms for you look like in order to keep that awareness up around the execution of your plan, your core values, who you're surrounding yourself with? What does that maintenance look like for you? You know, I was thinking as you were saying a lot of that too, um, there's, there's, there's probably a lot of answers to this, but I think one of the things that's probably uh, nearest to me is adjusting quickly. I'm really in tune with my, and this is an investing for freedom podcast. Like I'm really in tune with, uh, making sure that I own my time. I mean, from the time that I quit that job and started my first business, I think sometimes we think that what we want to do is a certain thing, but then once we start moving through it, um, it's like, okay, this feels totally different than what I thought it was going to be. I'm not enjoying this. And so if there was anything that I could say, it's my, it's my ability to, I guess, take my temperature on how I'm feeling and am I enjoying this? And you know, even more than any scorecard, any financial metric, anything else it's, am I enjoying this? Like, is this, is this really serving me? Am I happy doing this? There's a lot of things that I've done, Maddie, that that I thought it was what I wanted. And I quickly realized when I get into it, like, okay, I had a certain idea of what this was going to feel like, look like. But then once I get into it, I really don't enjoy this. And so 
one of the things for me, and I'm sure you've read this book, but I coached with Dan Sullivan a few years back for a couple of years. And, you know, he was always talking about who, not how, and then him and Benjamin Hardy came out with the book around it. That's been something that's been second nature to me, who, not how. And that's the biggest thing. I think if there was one central thing for me is like really coming back to like, what do I really enjoy? What am I really good at? And it's only a few things. There's only a few things that I really enjoy that I'm really good at. And I'm always trying to, uh, you know, get everything else off to someone else. And then ultimately too, when I enter a new season or a phase, I'm testing that out. I'm saying, am I enjoying this? And if not, I'm going to find a partner or an employee or whatever to align with. I'm even thinking about, this is going to sound crazy, but raising capital. Like I don't enjoy raising capital. I enjoy building relationships. I enjoy building teams. I enjoy building companies, but I don't, you know, the, from start to finish, like put on a webinar and then, you know, in the investment side of it and then tracking it and the paper, I, I want to outsource all that. I want to team up with like a capital raiser. And so that's just one example recently that, you know, I've been building the last couple of years as we were raising capital and doing the thing. Like I was like, oh, I'd really want to do that. But then what I've realized is like, I love the outcome of what raising capital does. And I want to build uh, an organization that is scalable and wants to build capital. But I want to partner with somebody that just loves, loves, loves raising capital. And so, you know, for me, that that was maybe a, a dodge to the question, but not in the sense that I just, for me, it's a temperature of how I feel. And yeah. I know that sounds crazy, but if I'm not happy, I'm not doing it. Well, I think what I'm hearing from that and what I think, you know, most of the, and maybe not even the most successful, right? Successful is a very um, subjective word based on the person and what they measure success by. I think the most happy, fulfilled, um, productive people are, like you said, very in tune, or just the word I use is aware. It's this moment to moment awareness. And then it's some type of framework that they use to check in and based on the North Star, right? Based on that awareness, figuring out what the next best step is for them based on what they want to achieve. And I know this is something that you're so good at. I want to get, I want to back up for a quick second and ask you about something because, you know, I think nothing is in life is always this linear path of enjoyment and, and feel good, right? And so how do you decipher when to push through some of these things that really are not enjoyable? Because when I look at some of the greatest successes I've had, and I'm sure you can attest to the same thing in your journey, it often was birthed out of pain. It was often birthed out of pushing through thresholds and limits that you didn't know you had. And, and, and how do you, what's your take on that? How do you decipher when it's time to put something to bed and, and move on to something maybe that you enjoy more or delegate and move off your plate? Versus like, I need to learn how to suffer through this to then figure out how to move some of these things out of my lane and, you know, find where I create more enjoyment and fulfillment. Yeah. One of my coaches mentioned to me at one point in time that there's really three energies in, in anything that we do. There's starting or the birthing energy, the creation energy, or, and then there's the implementation execution uh, energy and then there's completion energy. And that was powerful for me because it really broke it up into three different phases that I would say you can look at whether it's starting a business or it's a career or it's an investment or not, whatever. So there's the creation energy, there's the execution energy, and then there's the closing energy. And I, what I'm not 
what I've realized that I'm not great at is the implementation or the execution phase. I'm a visionary. I mean, we talked, you know, about mm-hmm. this a lot, but the EOS and traction gave me like framework that I could just kind of, like, under- ah, yeah, this is what I've been missing, man. Yeah, totally. Even our first business, like I had a business partner and what I realized looking backwards is I was a visionary. He was an implementer or sorry, an integrator. Um, he, I'm visionary. He's an integrator. And, but we didn't have that language. And there was times where we would butt heads, but really we were amazing partners when we were, you know, stay in our lane, but we just didn't have that language back then. And so to, to answer your question for me, I think it's just being cognizant of those number one, understanding that I was a visionary and I love starting things when I finally started. And I love partners, by the way, you know, so many people are scared of partners, but to me, the success in business or investing in general, especially for somebody that's a visionary like me is to get very clear on what you're good at, which for me as a visionary, it's that creation energy and sometimes completion energy, but that middle ground is what I'm not great at. And so that was probably the biggest aha for me, or the biggest piece of advice is find out what you're really good at and then align yourself, whether it's partners or employees, it doesn't really matter. It's the same conversation, who, not how, and actually it could be partners, employees, or even vendors, because there's a lot of things that you can mm-hmm. you know, outsource that you don't have to do as well, especially in this day and age. And so getting back to that though, I've had businesses that I've completely just shut down um, at a loss because you know, the old saying, when you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to something else. When I sold my first business in 2014, I've often said it was the best and worst day of my life because, you know, that was a 10 year run. We had had a lot of success and I sold the business. I, you know, I'm 34 and I'm retired the American dream, right? I'm financially free. I've got a pretty great portfolio of real estate at that point in time. But the reason why it was the best and worst day of my life is because I didn't have a purpose and I didn't have a passion. Mm. And I heard somebody say at one point in time, it was actually Seth Mosley, who's just an amazing um, song producer, songwriter. He does a lot of, he's won a ton of Emmys. And I was listening to him speak. We got to know him pretty well through the real estate guys. And he said that he made this statement. He said, we grow weary in the waiting season. And so again, these are those seasons that I think we have to be cognizant of, especially as entrepreneurs, because there's no flat line. I mean, if you look at any entrepreneur's journey, it's ups and downs, man. It's valleys and peaks. And yeah. we have to get comfortable being uncomfortable, but also know what valley or what season we're in because we grow weary in the waiting season. And so I've found myself, the, the times when, to, your question was like, how do you know when it's time to pull the plug? I think it's just as important for me to, to say that you also got to know when it's time to start it, right? Because I've started businesses I've invested in businesses. I've bought into businesses when I had no business being there because I was bored and because I grew weary in the waiting season. And when I fast forward and I look at these businesses that I ended up, every business that I've lost money on or shut down prematurely was, I probably had no business being in. Uh, I was in a season where I was bored, didn't have anything better to do. Um, You know, I I grew weary in the waiting season. And so I, I think just as good as when, how do you know when to throw in the towel is how do you know when to jump in? Yeah. And it's such a, I, I don't have a black and white answer for that, but I think maybe just slowing down a little bit, especially because when entrepreneurs have one success or even real estate investors, we have one success. It's easier for us to just keep jumping and think that, you know, every single one is going to go the way that the last one went. But sometimes we don't realize that the fundamentals may be different and the analysis and all that. And so for me, and I'll, I'll wrap it up with this. When we say yes to one thing, we're saying no to something else. When it gets to a point where I know that I, can, I can't do 
two things or five things. I can't move on to something that I know I need to do without either getting a who in place or wrapping up this season. That's when I wrestle like with, okay, what's the better use of my time? Do we just need to, you know, throw in the towel, call it quits? Do we sell it? Do we bring in somebody to execute the vision? And I've done all of those. I've closed doors. I've sold at a loss and I've brought in people to run. You know, to me that, I think is a really mature skill set for any entrepreneur, right? Because oftentimes it's ego that drives a lot of some of the worst decisions. It, ego can also drive amazing decisions and success. I'm curious, how do you tame your ego? You know, and you've talked about a lot of wins in your journey and, and you know, but I also want people to understand some of your worst moments as well and, and how you've handled those and what is birthed out of those moments. What are some of the you know worst times in your whether it's your entrepreneurial journey or even your personal journey? I think it's you know these character building moments are really not when you're winning and you're cashing fat checks and you're getting you know you know written up in articles, but it's when you're you know having sleepless nights and, and you're questioning yourself and you know you're having challenges in your marriage and you know, that's one thing that I love and appreciate you about you so much is, you know, with you and your beautiful bride and you guys' marriage and your parenting, you've been able to do all of that while building some amazing stuff. But I know that it hasn't been a smooth ride the entire way. And I would love to get a little bit of an, you know, window into how you've handled some of those dark moments in your journey. I, I love that you go there. I was speaking to the Fambundance group a while back and I realized that as we were kind of wrapping up, you know, we, we spend a lot of time talking about the wins and even on a surface level, you know, we leave it up to them to, to realize that something obviously had to happen in order to, but we don't do what you just asked enough. And every time that I even, you know, starting our business, that was not, that period of time was not a proud moment for me because, you know, I, I, my wife is at home with two little children. And, you know, she's pregnant with a third child and, you know, Kara made a comment. She might kick me in the ass for saying this. We love you, Kara. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll no, preface said, it with that, right? Yeah, totally. She said something um, a couple years ago. It was probably a year. No, it was last year. It was in the couple's mastermind last year. She made a comment. She said, you know, if, if that was going on now, I probably wouldn't have stayed. And I was like, Wow. So those are the moments that you're asking about, right? And I was like, okay, so that really caused me to like look back and take inventory. What was that? Um, so that, that was one of those. Another one, and this was specifically the time that she was talking about. We were going to a church when, when uh, so I was, going, I was going to that church when we were working out of town, but then also when we started our business, we were still there. We were heavily involved in leadership and we were running the youth ministry and you know, I was a right-hand man to the pastor. And I'll say this too, like that church ended up falling apart, um, lost their way. And we went through some crazy times, uh, as sometimes churches do. A lot of people have stories around this, but, um, I also learned, I wouldn't be the entrepreneur I was today if it hadn't been for everything that that pastor taught me because he was a very charismatic, he was a great business leader. He probably missed his calling. Actually, he probably shouldn't have been running a church. He probably should have been running a business. And that's kind of how he was treating it. And that's probably, you know, why it became an issue. But I learned so much from him. But also, I didn't have a lot of boundaries around that, because I wasn't getting paid. I wasn't a paid pastor. I'm, I'm working my ass off, you know, 
whether it was out of town or, or whether it was running the business. But then a lot of times when we were home, we were at church. My kids, when they were little, they were at church. You know, Carol was on the worship team. And there was a lot of things where when they would ask us to do something, yes, you know, we would put their ask above everything else. And so that was the period of time that Kara was referring to, because, you know, I'd get a call at 10 o'clock at night, Hey, we need you to do this. And I'd just go do it. Right. And so those were some of the times where, you know, even that I put, I put God. And I think that's where, you know, some of the challenges exist. I put God in that man and the mission at the church above my family, even at some time. So that's an example. Um, there's two times in business where I started and I think this is important and I love that you asked it because, um, you know, I've touched on it, but the, the first period of time was probably in 06 or 07. We were busier than heck, man. We were, we were just blown up. Our business was crazy. I probably had 30 employees, maybe 40 employees by this time. We, were, we had a Home Depot under construction. We had a bank. We were doing a gas station. I had probably 10 residential technicians. We were killing it. I mean, as far as business goes, we're killing it. It's Kara's grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary in Wyoming. And, you know, I've got this thing mapped out and planned. I got the time blocked out. And as it's getting closer, I'm telling my business partner, I'm getting everything ready. One thing I've always been really good at, Maddie, it doesn't matter what's going on. I'm, I'm taking my vacations. We always block that in first. Yes. Uh, I'm not missing the basketball games, et cetera, et cetera, right? I was always really good at that. But with this particular thing, I mean, a lot of these, there's a lot of money on the line. You don't get a Home Depot done on time. You don't get a bank done on time. That's why the casino was like change orders. Who cares? There's a lot of money at stake and a lot of timelines and a lot of pressure. So I go, I fly to Wyoming and Kara's, Kara's family has a ranch there. There's no Wi-Fi. There's no internet. Um, so I drive into town, you know, once a day, check, check my emails, check the phone messages. There's 30 messages from my business partner, from contractors screaming and yelling at me, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to keep my head straight. And so I tell Kara, I said, listen, I'm going to go to grandparents anniversary party on Friday night, Saturday, I'm getting a ticket. You're going to drive me to Rapid City. I'm going to fly home. You know, I made the, I made the, I made the party. Great. So I do that. I fly home. And then three or four days later, Kara and the kids are driving home and Kara's uh, sister's driving which is somewhat irrelevant. Um, they're about an hour and a half from home and she's distracted and she goes off the road and rolls like three times driving 85 miles an hour, rolls the oh. vehicle with my kids in the, in the vehicle. And, you know, this was one of those moments. I won't, I won't bore people with the details, but it, it, I didn't, I didn't get to the hospital till like seven hours later, maybe eight hours later, because the, the highway patrol, the sheriffs, the ambulance, everybody, I didn't know where they were going. They were right between Salt Lake and the town we lived in. And so one group, I'm waiting at the hospital in Nevada and my kids are on their way to Utah because there was so much chaos and confusion. And when I showed up at the hospital, this was probably five o'clock in the afternoon when the wreck happened. When I showed up at the hospital at like three o'clock in the morning, Kara just looked at me and, you know, just started bawling and she's like, where the hell have you been? And I'm like, you don't even know what I've just been through. That's what I'm thinking. Right. It's like, so, you know, I was, it's poor me, but yeah, right. Um, she's like, where the hell have you been? And that was one of those moments, man, where I was like, okay, never again. Because when we get, I think life gives us little bumpers. Right. Yeah. But here's the thing I know for sure. If I had left, would that wreck have still happened? No, it would not have happened because, and I can say that, because I drive, like I always just drove. So yep. um, that was 100% me doing what I never said I would do. And, you know, getting, it's just checks and balances. And yeah. it's easy looking backwards, 
But if we're not careful and we don't stick to that, you can only get away with so many of those. Right. Life only gives you so many, um, you know, trump cards. And, and I'll make this one quick. But one other thing. Oh, well, it was 07. Um, a gold mine that we were doing a ton of work for went bankrupt. A gold mine of all things. They couldn't get financing. They were getting shut down by the state. They owed us. We were doing a ton of work. Again, 24-7 change orders galore, whatever. They owed us. They, we were billing about four to $500,000 a week. And we had them on a seven-day pay schedule. They, they shut their doors, went bankrupt, and they owed us like 400 grand. This put me into a spiral. That was a lot of money. Uh, and then we, and we're going into like, Oh, eight, it, it was a challenging time. And, you know, I'm working my ass off. I'm having to lay people off a month later at Christmas. We laid off like 35 employees, just a horrible, horrible time in my entrepreneurial journey. You know, people on the outside sometimes look at us when we're having to make these decisions. Right. They're like, you're such a dick. And I'm just like, you know, they don't know the blood, sweat and, you know, tears that, that we shed and the pain we go through as well. I'm not saying that it's easy that they got laid off, but you know, we had to lay off 35 people. And I, re I remember coming home and I remember seeing Carol one night and she's like, you know, you've been missing dinner. You're not yourself. You're snapping at the kids. And I looked at her and I said, what do you want me to do? Like we could potentially lose everything right now. And she looked at me and she said, everything, what are they going to do? Take our kids? Oof. Like, what are they going to do? Take our house, let them have it. And I was just like, you know, that's those moments that I'm like, you know what? She's right. And we put so much pressure on ourselves. And what she said was true. What, are, you know, I mean, we get into a pickle and a bind and what are they going to do? Take our house. That's the worst case scenario. They can't take my kids. Mm -hmm. Like they can't, they can't take what really, really matters. And so those, there's a couple, there's a couple of the, the bad I remember stuff. you telling me that story and I, I went home and told Marie that story too. And it was, I think such an important perspective for people to think about as you're setting up your life, right? Of like, what really matters? What are you really willing to sacrifice in terms of what does matter most to you? And then making sure that your priorities, your actions, you know, are, are reflecting that, right? And when you can live in that integrity and live in congruence and kind of alignment with that, it does give you a little bit more confidence and ease that no matter what, you know, comes at you, you know, when you're living in that integrity and you're congruent, it makes it that much easier to really weather those challenging times in your journey, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so good. And I think too, just the, I love, again, I love coming back to the, the, the challenges, if you will, because sometimes again, we share the wins and, you know, we show up, this is what we do. The guy that just came in and spoke to the couples mastermind, Seth Madison, he was talking about how, you know, as leaders, we have to be strong. We have to put on the strong face. We have to show up. And, and that tends to roll over into the stories and the podcasts and everything else that we tell as well. But there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, man, that go into this and those, those dark moments and just really coming back to that. And we're so positive and optimistic as entrepreneurs it's not that we're intentionally just trying to tell the wins. Like, I don't think about the negative shit half the time. I'm like, oh yeah, that happened. But you know what? Here's what we did to fix it. Like, it's not, it's not because we want to just tell the positives. It's literally just, you know, that, that's what I think about is, yeah. like, look what we got through. I'm adjusting, I think is the most important part of a lot of this. Cause even like mm. this last year and a half, um, I was heading a certain direction. I mean, you, you even know this probably from a GoBundance perspective, we put together 
you know, I'm, I'm a partner, I'm a partner in a manufactured housing business. And I was kind of heading a different direction. We had a CEO and my business partner was running that. And I was kind of heading this direction where we're going to go back into the HVAC and plumbing world and start syndicating HVAC and plumbing companies, right. which we're still going to do. But I had to kind of take a, I, I was, I had to step back in about six months ago. And that wasn't my, like, that's not what I wanted to do. Right. But we, sometimes we have to do what we need to do for, you know, whatever reason. And you could look at that one of two ways. I could be pissy about it and say, well, I, I really wanted to do this, which I did. But sometimes we have to come in. It's, it's kind of like the, the energy that you were talking, the creation, execution, and closure. Yeah. Sometimes we have to come back in and, and, and fix things and bring that to a close. And it, that's just life. It's just yeah. life. Well, I think that comes back to the humility piece, the ego piece, right? The awareness piece. One of the questions I often ask myself is, you know, what does it take to earn the right? Mm. And even though, you know, I think I've done what's required sometimes not to have to do those things anymore. If that's what is required in that moment to get that outcome, then that's how I need to show up in order to unlock whatever it is that I'm looking to unlock, right? And I think that's just something that you um, represent in so many areas of your life. And, you know, we've talked a lot about your psychology and we've talked about your journey a little bit. I want to talk a little bit more forward thinking. And, you know, I know that you're in a lot of affluent circles. You're around a lot of smart people. You are always asking great questions and always listening more than you're talking. And I want people to get a little bit of insight in terms of what are some of the things that you're noodling on? And, you know, with everything that's gone on over the last couple of years, what are some of the things that you're most excited about and that you're looking forward and towards as, uh, you know, we head into 2022 and beyond? Gosh, there's, <laughs> there, there's, there's so much there that uh, I, I'm actually, after the last couple of years, um, and this might sound crazy, you know, and we're still working through some stuff as is probably everybody. But after the last couple of years, you know, I'm, I'm really beginning to understand there was a theme that, that came out during COVID for me. And that was a concept of like wartime leaders versus peacetime leaders. It's really easy when things are going well for leaders to look great and for businesses to look great, but we're in a really crazy time and we have to give ourselves some grace for anybody that's listening, including ourselves. Like nobody knows Morgan Housel. Um, who spoke at the GoBundance event, you know, he said, things happen all the time that have never happened before. And to kind of answer your question, like, I feel like we're living in this time where, you know, everybody always says history repeats itself. And I kind of feel like we're at this weird crossroads in history and humanity where maybe conceptually, you know, people will say like, you know, Rome fell from within and these kind of things. But I feel like we're in this place where Morgan said this also, like if you would have looked back two years and or two and a half or three years and, and told if, if Maddie, if you would have said to me that some crazy disease out of Wuhan, China that came from a bat or whatever, you, you know, was going to shut the whole world down and we were going to be wearing masks in America and, you know, the government was going to give us checks. Crazy, man. Yeah. And so if anything, uh, and that's not a negative to me, this is all a positive. If anything, I think the faster we can adjust and not get stuck on our ideas because our ideas can shift. External forces can change in, in a heartbeat. And so the concept of being a wartime leader has really shaped my thinking over the last couple of years, being able to adjust quickly. 
And I actually think we were just talking about this um, last week. I think that the business owners that are quick on their feet, that are scrappy, that can adjust faster than the next people are going to be the ones that win. And there's so much negative conversation. We can't find help. We can't find employees. We can't get this. We can't get money. Well, people are still going to need goods and services and a place to live and everything else. And so the people that can't figure it out are going to fail faster. And the people that can figure it out are going to gobble that up faster. And so I'm just excited. I think we actually live in an amazing time. And so really what I'm excited about personally, just the next journey, you know, I've mentioned this already. Um, the kids are, you know, they're entering their adulthood. And so, you know, entering a season where we get to be not just parents, but also, you know, friends and mentors and business partners. Um, that's exciting. Uh, starting to, you know, think about legacy. What, what does this look like? One of the yeah. things that I've always had on my vision board is to have a, a $25 million family office. I think in terms of like this, and when I say family office, I mean, literally, like I want to have a commercial building with an office on the third floor where, you know, the family comes in. There's, a, there's some different schools of thought where, you know, like Warren Buffett, says, you know, just give them enough to where they can do anything, but not enough to where they don't can't do nothing. Um, right. I, if my kids want part of our business and inheritance, I want them to fly in once a quarter and meet at the family office and talk through investments. And so I'm excited about those types of visions. And I don't have a $25 million family office right now, but that's the kind of terms that Karen and I are thinking of. And when you look backwards, I've been asking this question a lot of a lot of people lately, but you know, when you look back 10 years ago, is your life better today or worse than what you could have imagined? And most people say better. Mm. And so if I can imagine my life a certain way 10 years from now, and it's going to be better than that, I'm really excited. And so those are the kind of things that we're thinking about as our kids kind of enter a new phase, we enter a new phase. Um, you know, what does the legacy money look like? And to me, it's really about doing business and investing in entrepreneurship with them, but also with their families. I'm excited to, you know, meet their spouses. And um, Karen, I've been talking about like even trips. If we want to do the same thing that we've done the last 20 years of their life, like we've got to step it up because now we might end up paying for vacations for <laughs> right? you know, or 20 of them. I don't know what the number is going to be, but those are the kind of things that I think about now. Ken McElroy made a comment about some of his investments that aren't really investments like second homes and ranches and that kind of stuff. You know, he said that, um, and as he'll own those as long as the kids keep coming. And so those are the kind of things that we're thinking about now. I love that because, you know, generational wealth legacy for some people, it's, yeah, we want to give this to our kids and our future grandkids. Other people are like, screw them, you know, we're going to, we're going to spend it and enjoy as much as we can while we're here. Um, and it's always cool to hear different people's perspectives, knowing that oftentimes, usually what I find is how they just kind of like what Morgan Housel, right? We, we were fortunate enough to, you know, be in a very intimate room with him and have some really cool conversations. And, you know, everybody wants their money to do something different for them. And when I get to hear people's different perspectives on how, what do you want your money to do for you and for your kids? Um, it usually, what I find is there, there's some level of congruency right back to their core values. And I know how much your family means to you, being a dad means to you, creating leaders means to you, you know, the, the bond and the, the experience and squeezing everything out of life that you possibly can with your wife um, means to you. And so that answer didn't surprise me actually now, because it all points back to those values of who you are. And so I think it's really important for people as they're creating this wealth, right? 
one is an accumulation phase, right? The other is kind of a growth phase, but then there's like this root of it all of like, what does it all mean? And, and, and how does it matter to you? And, and I think that's something that you've really woven into all of the decisions that you make. And, and I think that's something that people could really think on a little bit more as they start to accumulate, grow, right. And, and, and further that for their own, their own path. Yeah. It's so good, man. You know, I don't know if you were there, but when we were in steamboat, uh, recently we were at David Osborne's house and somebody asked him, when's enough enough. Mm. And, you know, he made the comment, he said, I, I already have enough. He's like, that's the wrong question. He said, when it's no longer fun, that's when I'm going to stop doing it. So it's not really about when's enough enough. Yeah. It's like when you're not having fun anymore. I loved that. So yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I want to switch gears a little bit and go more X's and O's in strategy. Sure. You know, in terms of making a lot of money is one thing. Um, what are the different vehicles that have been kind of your bread and butter, your fast pitch, you know, right down the center of the plate? What are some of the things that, you know, you're continuing to invest in? What are some of the new fringe or alternative investments that you're looking at? You know, um, I, I was, I'm right in the middle of teaching a, what we're calling the real estate accelerator, which is just going to turn into a video course. And um, somebody was asking me last week what my last single family deal looked like. And I was like, you know, I haven't bought a single family house since 2014. <laughs> so it's kind of funny because you, I mean, that's a long time ago, right? It was like, right. yeah, since I bought my last house. And it's these kind of questions that just get you really thinking about it. Um, so it's a great question because the the natural progression, we wake up and then we look backwards and we just kind of try to dissect how did we get here? Um, it was through businesses. I've invested in multiple different businesses in the past and some of them were great and some of them weren't. And then obviously a real estate portfolio, Karen and I, you know, bought five mobile home parks ourselves. We got to, you know, three commercial buildings, 45 single families ourselves. And then we've invested a lot through funds and syndications in, uh, manufactured housing across the country. Um, I'm still bullish on that market, but it's gotten to the point where uh, super expensive. So we're we're kind of rethinking that whole strategy. We've divested a lot of that recently. For me personally, um, I've started investing in other people's deals and funds. Um, that's a great thing about GoBundance. You know, you get to see a lot of people. Absolutely. Um, I've been watching the deal you guys are doing, you and Jake in in San Antonio. Your hotels in in Tahoe are looking very interesting. So one of mine and Kara's goals is to invest three to 400,000 a year in other people's deals. Love it. So what is that? It could be a lot of different things. And again, that's what I love about uh, GoBundance. Um, I, we're, we're actually really looking at the luxury Airbnb space just because we do so many events at those types of houses and yeah. that's where we want to, these markets are where we want to travel. So Scottsdale, Austin, Nashville, um, so we're, we're looking at some of that. Um, and then we know so many people that do events, like why not? The, the beautiful thing about that whole model is you've got the real estate and you have the business, which is probably why you're so bullish on the, you know, the hotel space too. But um, that's interesting to us. I, I kind of mentioned this, but I'm super bullish on service businesses, um, which was, you know, my, my, my base. So better. I'm going back to that. Um, just had to come in and do some little closure business around, around the other stuff, but I'm super bullish on, uh, you know, small businesses. That's probably something that, you know, I'll probably be teaching more of in the future. I'm really excited about that space. Um, I don't think we can ignore the techs, you know, the tech space and, yeah. and 
some of that. I, I think, you know, just even when I read the book, The Price of Tomorrow and and that kind of stuff by Jeff Booth, I, I think we have to really be paying attention to what technology is going to do. Even if you're not directly investing in technology businesses, which again, at GoBundance, we have the opportunity to invest in some, but um, it's going to really impact and change our businesses as a whole. So we have to be paying attention to that. Even if it's investing in technology for your own business, that's another way to look at it. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Um, what else are we investing in? I, I, I am invested. I mean, everybody's, I've got a decent amount in Bitcoin. And I was going to say, there's got to be some crypto in your portfolio. Yeah. I know. And, yeah. you know, I think understanding at a high level is, you know, Im- important. Um, and then obviously, like you said, right, you're kind of looking at who's, who's the horse that I, if I'm a jockey and this is the horse running the race around the track and they're in the trenches every single day, who's the winning horse that I want to bet on. Right. Um, but then I also think of like, you know, the jockey's got to have some skills too, in order to, you know, have the balance and, and, and understand how to, you know, work with that horse as well. And so you were to boil down you know, maybe one to two or three, like important investing skill sets, you know, whether it's looking at P&Ls and balance sheets, or it's underwriting X, Y, or Z, like, what would you say people should really challenge themselves over their investing journey to continue to level up in? If, if I was, I mean, I could come right at just answering the question, but I was just thinking about this. One of the things that Kara and I want to do when I bring up Barry, my, my mentor, you know, he mentored me by being invested with me, even though he wasn't an equity investor, he was, uh, you know, a debt holder in a lot of what I did. Um, Kara and I want to have, that's another one of the things that we want to do for legacy. I want to have a $3 million personal fund. Like this is one of our goals that we just invest in, you know, private businesses, uh, individuals. And I get to be a berry to them. Number one, I might participate, whether it's on debt, an equity front or whatever. And so to answer your question, I, I, I just shifted to like, okay, what would I be looking for in that individual focus? Because I think that's one of, if there was a reason why you wouldn't want to invest in me as a young entrepreneur, it was because I was not focused. Right. You know, I thought because I had one success, everything was going to be successful. Mm. There's a book by, I think the guy's name is Marshall Morris that I've been reading. What, what, what got you here won't get you there. Yeah. Um, so focus, um, hunger, I think is another big, and these are not necessarily, do you know HVAC or do you know right. about, you know, how to flip a property or do you know how to swing a hammer? It's the, a lot of the things that we already talked about, you know, are, hu- humility, are they going to listen? The, the one thing that I would never invest in, I mean, how many times have you heard somebody come and, you know, you talk to them 15 times and every time they're, they're pitching another business idea. Right. And I'm like, that's great that you're a visionary. Cause I'm a visionary too. But like, I'd be scared to give somebody that isn't focused on seeing something through. Right. And again, it doesn't have to be us doing all the work. Um, you can find contractors, you can find vendors, you can find good realtors. You can, you don't have to do it all, but I'm, I'm looking for, you know, commitment, consistency, probably some focus. And then that humility and hunger. I think those are the things that, you know, if I was going to invest in somebody, I want to see that. Now, when we talk about the more seasoned investors, entrepreneurs, it's track record. Yeah. Um, Obviously, you know, I invested with a good buddy of mine that a lot of the GoBundance guys did that's got a track record of um, developing land. And, you know, his he's always done it with his own money and a couple investors. And then he opened it up to all of us. And, you know, I've golfed with him every day for a year and a half. I know this guy inside and out. I know his track record. 
Um, so, you know, there's trust there, but also like he's got a track record. But so I, I think you just have to look at, okay, is this person seasoned? Do they have a track record? And if they do, that's why you're investing with them. But then outside of that, if it's a younger up and coming horse that you're going to bet on or the jockey you're going to bet on, I think it's some of those early things that, and I think that's where the bigger wins are for us with investors. Right. When I invest with my buddy, yeah, he's got a track record, but he's keeping most of the upside. I'm yeah, just not as much it. upside. Yeah. But if I can find a young jockey that has these core things that I really want to bet on, that's what I want to do more of in the future is a little bit higher risk and longer reward. Mm, I love that. Some great qualities and characteristics to, to keep in mind. And as we kind of wrap up uh, the show today, you know, making money is great. But at the end of the day, you got to know how to save it too, right? Taxes, tax planning, you know, what are some of the legal and, and creative strategies that you like to leverage and utilize in terms of lowering and, you know, sheltering and deferring your taxable income? You know, actually, this is a great, uh, we, we didn't talk about this ahead of time, but if, if anybody wants to um, send me the word tax to 480-531-7519, I'll send you a PDF that we put together on the top 10 or 12 tax saving tips. I actually worked with my CPA on things that we do. Love it. You know, I, I think there's a lot of the the go-to stuff. I mean, real estate, obviously. I mean, the real estate tax benefits are huge, especially if you can get the real estate professional designation. There's, you know, a lot of, without getting in the weeds on this, I think the biggest thing is, it's just like I said with consultants, you know, I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. Pay your accountant well, like pay your CPA as well. I don't just have a CPA. I, I think I, I think eight years ago when we hired these guys, I think I had to pay them $15,000 then just to talk to me and really look at my, my whole setup before they would even touch my tax returns. So, so many people want to skimp on that. Don't, don't skimp on your advisors. So I have an amazing group that I've been with for again, eight or 10 years on the CPA side, asset protection attorneys, um, huge, you know, I, I think people skimp when it comes to legal and all this, you know, they want to go to legal zoom to set up their LLCs. This is where people get into trouble. So I think that's the biggest thing. If we could just narrow it down to one thing, don't skimp on that. It doesn't mean that if you're just getting your first investment property, you know, you need to go overboard, but at the same time, the biggest and best, I love what Tom Wilwright said that he's got a book called tax-free wealth. And he said, the biggest way to make more money is to keep more of what you've already earned. And I'm just, I love that. So, you know, there's a lot of, um, I think the real estate, the write-offs, the depreciations within business, all of that kind of stuff is, you know, Karen, I've, we've averaged in the low, low double digits for, for years because of, of good tax advisors Gotta love it. and a lot of real estate. So I, I think, I think hiring the right advisors would be, would be number one. Such an important piece, Mike, brother. It has been an absolute pleasure getting to spend some time with you today and, and hopefully your listeners, you know, have a little bit more, everybody feels like they know you right when they hear your voice in their ears every single week, but like to really get to kind of peel back the layers of the onion um, and, you know, get to know who you are, I think uh, is so important because, you know, everybody that has been able to peel back those layers of the onion with you just understands how special of a person you are and, and how selfless you are in terms of giving your wisdom and, and sharing your resources. And uh, man, I just want to say thank you, brother. It's been an honor to be able to share the mic with you today. And, you know, if you guys aren't listening to the show full time, you're not subscribed yet, of course, make sure you hit that subscribe button. I want to leave uh, the listeners with a little perspective for you because I think wealth um, I think success, I think freedom means something different to everyone. What is, what does freedom and, and wealthy look like to Mike Ayala? 
you know, I, I think about this all the time. And a lot of times we give kind of like a polished answer to this, but, you know, freedom to me is really, I don't ever want to be told no. And I think some of this is the chip on my shoulder from when I was little, you know, I, going to McDonald's was a treat, like once every six weeks, so I could get the little Lego thing. And it, it wasn't that I felt like I didn't have a lot because I didn't know any better, but I don't ever want to be told no. And, you know, if I want to take some time off and be with my family, great. When we go on vacation together, anything they want, I want to be able to provide with no stress whatsoever. Um, if I want to fly, uh, you know, on a certain airline or I want to stay at a certain hotel, I, and again, this is not my normal go-to, but this is the mic version of it. Yes. I just want to build the life that if I want something, I can have it. And the crazy thing is, is there's a lot of things in life that I thought I wanted, Maddie, that when I actually here's a great example. So I told Kara, as soon as I make 200 grand on my personal brand, uh, I'm going to buy an Audi R8. I, when I hit my, you did that, I, you're like, all right, maybe not. I don't really want the Audi R8. <laughs> right. And so it doesn't mean that because I think I want something that I'm going to get it. I just want to be able to get whatever I want when I want it. And so mm. for me, money's just a tool at the end of the day to, yeah. to be with who I want to be with when I want to be with them how I want to be with them, where I want to be with them. That's, that's freedom to me. Mm, I love that. I call that the all-inclusive lifestyle. When you go to the resort, man, you don't want anybody telling you you can't have another drink or it's going to cost X. You can eat as much food as you want. You can relax as hard as you want. You can live it up and enjoy life as much as you possibly can. And uh, man, that's investing for freedom right there. Mike Ayala. I love it. Appreciate it. Where do people find you? People can always hit me up on Instagram at official Maddie. They can follow on the Millionaire Mindcast, our podcast, three episodes a week. And um, yeah, I know you and I are always doing some good cross pollination of our Instagram audiences. And and I think that um, you know, anytime I get thrown in a in a sentence with Mike Isla, that is uh, that's a win for me because I just got so much respect for you, man, and and love who you are and what you stand for, how you live your life. And um, and I think that's why your listeners, you know, love the Investing for Freedom podcast. Well, I appreciate it. And obviously you're generous to spend an hour and 20 minutes with me on my show and not even your own. I can't think of somebody that I'd rather do it with. So appreciate you. Thanks, brother. Humbled. Cheers. If you found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.